Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This episode is airing at the very end of January of 2024. Sarah is going to be interviewing Dr. Jillian Goddard, who has been a prior guest on the show. She was talking about her life as a practicing physician in New York and as she's raising four children. She particularly talked about having au pairs with her family and how that had worked as a child care solution. But she's back because she has a new newsletter that is out very recently called The Hot Flash dealing with medical issues associated with women who are about our age, Sarah, as we hit our mid-40s. So looking at issues for women in their 40s. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you and Jillian, you know, cover in this? Yeah. So this has been requested many times. We had a prior guest, shout out to Dr. Laura Erdman, who talked about some of these topics, kind of focusing on the OBGYN side. But Dr. Goddard is an endocrinologist, so a kind of like a different medical field and perspective. And great timing since she is starting this amazing newsletter, which I think came out last week when this episode airs. And it's part of Emily Oster's parent data collection of newsletters. So it's going to be awesome. And yeah, 
I was super curious about a lot of things, including whether or not I'm in perimenopause. Spoiler, I think the answer's no. Um, <laughs> but it was a really, it was a really, really fun conversation. If you are triggered by discussion of cycles and fertility and other things like that, this may be an episode to skip. We do talk about those kinds of things. So yeah, I guess it it does make sense for me to give that as a little bit of a trigger warning. You can check out all of our prior episodes if you need something else to listen to this week. Yeah, but very exciting because this is a topic that I know a lot of our listeners are curious about as we get a little bit older and watch our bodies change again. It's just a constant thing of figuring out what's going on. And many of us are helping our teen daughters through the first part of that uh, sort of stage, but uh, we are entering into the other one of it. So we'll be excited to hear what Jillian Goddard has to say and you know, excited that this is a topic that more people are talking about and is, is coming into the cultural consciousness. So let's hear what she has to say. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jillian Goddard to Best of Both Worlds for the second time. Jillian was on this podcast previously, not as physician Jillian. She was on as parent Jillian, talking all about the au pair lifestyle. But we decided we needed to have her back and we begged to have her back because there have been so many questions from our audience about perimenopause and hormones. And Dr. Goddard happens to be an expert in that field. She also was an attendee of Best Laid Plans Live, had so much fun hanging out with me and Laura in Fort Lauderdale last fall. And she's an endocrinologist in private practice and the author of Hot Flash, which is the best name ever. That is a newsletter from Parent Data by Emily Oster, who we've also had on the podcast. So welcome, Dr. Jillian Goddard. Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's so glad to be back on Best of Both Worlds. I am a very regular listener, so it's great to be here again. I love it. We love having our listeners and Patreon members and just people who have kind of gotten to know the show really well on. It always feels really, really smooth. So super excited for this conversation. Plus, I'm personally excited about the topic. So because it's actually funny, I will say like people think I know adult endocrinology and I know very, very little adult endocrinology. Someone asked me for something about menopause and I'm like, you realize my patients go up to like age 20. I mean, yes, there are some patients that have sort of menopausal scenarios for different reasons, but it's not my forte. Okay. So with all that said, what is the difference between menopause, perimenopause, and like, is there even like a perimenopause before that? Like, take us through the journey. Sure. So I think that this is really important to make a distinction among all these different phases that our bodies go through in our 40s and 50s. A lot of my patients come in and say they're having all these symptoms and they thought they were having perimenopause, but they went to their gynecologist and their gynecologist checked their labs and were like, no, you're not in perimenopause. And then they're like, well, then why do I feel so crummy? And so I think it is a really important thing to sort of make all these distinctions. So let's just talk through them from the beginning. So you go from being in your 30s and you're having regular periods and you're having your babies and you're breastfeeding and life is going on as normal. And if you're anything like me, you hit 40 and you are like, 40s are going to be the best. I don't have little babies. I'm going to sleep at night. I'm going to feel amazing. And, you know, there's no diapers. There's no breastfeeding. There's none of that. And what I found and what a lot of my patients find is, sure, that that works great for a few years. And then 
all of a sudden you start having like weird headaches and all the, your periods change and you're not sleeping at night and none of it makes any sense. And what that actually is typically is something called the late reproductive phase. So this is a phase that typically starts for women in their early 40s and can go on for five years, maybe even more. And what defines the late reproductive phase is that you are still having regular periods, but your cycles are changing. So even though your period is about the same length every month, it might go from being 32 days to 28 days to 26 days. And along with that, you can have heavier periods and you can have a lot more symptoms. Some women even get more irritable or don't sleep as well. A lot of women get hormonal headaches in this time period. And some women even get hot flushes, but they only get them around their period when our hormones drop. And the reason all this happens in our 40s is because Unfortunately, as we get into our 40s, we still have eggs in our ovaries, but they're not like, they're like the last guys picked. They're not the most amazing eggs. And it takes a lot of stimulus or juice, as it were, from our pituitary gland to get those eggs to be ready to ovulate. So we have this hormone called FSH or follicle stimulating hormone, and it goes up higher. And that hormone makes our estrogen go up higher. And high estrogen is fine, but then that estrogen has to come back down. And it's actually the drop that makes us feel really, really crummy. And so even though our estrogen levels are rising and falling at the same times of the month as they used to, they're going higher and they're falling lower. And all of that makes us symptomatic. So we trundle along with that for five years. And then we typically see people transition to perimenopause. Perimenopause is when our cycle length starts to vary. So Maybe we had gone down to having a 26-day cycle, but it was a 26-day cycle every single month. Perimenopause is a 22-day cycle followed by a 43-day cycle followed by a 34-day cycle. And the technical definition is that there's a greater than seven-day variability from cycle to cycle. And so again, we may be ovulating, we may be having periods intermittently, they might still feel kind of regular, but they're much more all over the place than they used to be. And we might go through times when we feel fine, and we might go through times where we're having lots of symptoms like hot flushes, night sweats, irritability, sleep disruption, and all those things are not so fun. And then the cycles tend to space out further and further and further. And eventually you will have a a last period and enter menopause. The funny thing about menopause, though, is you can only diagnose it in retrospect. So you have to go 12 months without having a period before you can officially say you're in menopause. So if you go 11 months and then you have a period, you're still in perimenopause. The funny thing about that is like the idea that you would just never know when it's the last one. I never really thought about that, but hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) That has some really important implications too, because there are some studies that show that 
at least 25% of cycles that are more than six months long. So say you haven't had a period in six months, and then all of a sudden you have a period, 25% of those cycles you actually ovulate, which I think has really important implications when you're thinking about things like contraception. The other thing is we used to think that this was like a very orderly progression from the late reproductive phase to perimenopause to menopause. And it turns out actually more than half of women seesaw between the late reproductive phase and perimenopause. And that can go on for quite a while. And so just because your cycles start to lengthen out doesn't mean that all of a sudden you won't start having regular 28-day cycles again. That doesn't seem fair, but good to know. (laughs) So question, is there like a, I don't know, a way of predicting when this is going to happen to you based on like medical history? Do people who start their menarche earlier tend to have menopause earlier? Or is it more related to like, if your mother had earlier menopause, then you will as well? So we used to think it was hereditary, but actually newer studies suggest that there's not really a hereditary connection. It would make sense if you started having periods earlier that you would go through menopause earlier, but that's not actually true. The late bloomers actually go through menopause earlier and the early bloomers have peri- typically have periods for longer. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times. But so, yeah, so there's not a lot of prediction so you just get Available. what you get. Super it's interesting. Just a guessing game. <laughs> so okay, so wh- we we heard about hot flashes. We heard about sleep disruption, irritability, things like PMDD. I'm guessing become more common in perimenopause. But one thing that women t- tend to talk about a lot is weight gain. Is that a myth? Yes. Is that more related to age? Is there a hormonal component? What drives that, and what can counteract it? Since for most people, it's probably not the most welcome visitor. Yeah. So weight gain is something that women really struggle with. I feel like not a day passes in my office where someone doesn't come in wanting to talk about perimenopausal weight gain. It is real. There are studies that follow women longitudinally over time and show that women do on average gain about four pounds over six years in the perimenopausal time period. It is Interesting, largely in the midsection. So if you look at something we call waist circumference, where you literally just measure around somebody's waist in over and do that serially, you see that women do tend to have an increase in waist circumference. What's really interesting about it, though, is waist circumference seems to be something that increases and then levels out. But overall weight continues to creep up over time, which means that you're then gaining weight in other places, not just in your midsection. The issue, though, is that when you gain weight in your midsection, it has implications for your metabolic health, so blood pressure, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And so that's why we care about it beyond just. Uh, vanity. And there are studies that look at how it's tied hormonally. Estrogen is a player here for sure. The drop in estrogen in the perimenopausal and postmenopausal years does. It shifts body composition. So we are able to gain more fat and we lose a small but significant amount of muscle mass 
And then the other thing that's been shown to be have implications is actually the hormone FSH, which I mentioned earlier. So FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, is a hormone made in our pituitary glands to trigger ovulation. And after we go through menopause, when we don't have any eggs left to ovulate, our, our pituitary gland doesn't know that. And so it just keeps making FSH. And FSH does seem to have implications for perimenopausal weight gain as well. Oh, that's interesting. That'd be a hard study to do because it would seems like it would be a confounder, but I'm sure they figured out ways to like control for it. And for those listening to this who are like, FSH, why do I know that? That if you go to your PCP and want a blood test for menopause, like that's typically the one they'll do. I'm not saying that's the way to diagnose menopause, as Dr. Goddard said, but for those that got that diagnosis or not from their primary, that's that may be where where things started because it can be a marker that at least sends you down some path or another. Okay, so we're going to talk about what will counteract that weight gain perhaps in just a moment. We will be right back. Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers, and I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Today's episode is sponsored by Thrive Cosmetics. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. They are made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademarked formulas, and using uncompromising standards. I've learned that the things I value most in my skincare and makeup are efficiency, quality, and ease of use. I have found all of these and more in Thrive Cosmetics. Lately, I've been super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This is a flake-free tubing formula that never clumps, and trust me, if I can get it to look good, anyone can. The other wonderful thing about Thrive is that cause is in their name for a reason, with every purchase supporting organizations that help communities thrive. I love supporting a company that truly gives back. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash bestof for 20% off your first order. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
Okay, we're back. So understanding that both a drop in estrogen as well as high FSH levels, plus maybe the impact of body composition changes because that's going to then change your basal metabolic rate, I would assume, drives the weight gain that is seen. It doesn't sound like a huge amount of weight gain, but kind of like a slow and steady weight gain during those menopausal years and perimenopausal years. So what do you tell your patients when they, if and when they are looking for something to counteract that? Sure. I mean, I think it depends on the degree of weight gain you're seeing and what your risk factors for other diseases are. So if you are someone with a in with sort of a healthy weight and you're seeing a modest weight gain, and to me, a modest weight gain would be, you know, five pounds, even 10 pounds, although I appreciate that that feels like a lot to people, then really sort of lifestyle factors are the key. And I think the biggest key is fighting the loss of muscle mass. And this is where being sure that you're doing strength training is absolutely key. Because if you can fight that loss of muscle mass, you can help maintain a healthier body composition. And when you maintain a healthier body composition, you don't have to, the math of calories in versus calories out works much more in your favor because your body naturally is burning more calories and it means that you can consume a more typical diet and maintain your weight. That makes sense. It's also really important for bone density, which also decreases in menopause. And so weightlifting is only going to do positive things for you. In women who are looking at a more significant weight gain or are looking at Maybe they've become pre-diabetic or even diabetic. Their blood pressure's going up where there's really health concerns in addition to weight gain. This is where we might think about medications depending on the degree of weight gain. There are several medications that have been shown to be really effective and some of the newer medications like Wigovi or ZepBound can be really effective for women in the perimenopausal years. I know that they've gotten a lot of press lately. They're sort of the like medications du jour. But for women who've had really significant weight gain in midlife and who are seeing their blood sugars creep up and their cholesterol creep up, they really are a wonderful tool to help with perimenopausal weight gain. Always nice to have more potential solutions, even if it's not always the solution for each person. All right. So moving on to contraception for those who haven't, you you mentioned that that earlier that sometimes your last period or close to your last period can be an ovulatory period, which means you could get pregnant when you thought you were already in menopause, which is super interesting. Long-time listeners to this show, I may know I got pregnant like between pregnancies, meaning like I had never, I'd stopped breastfeeding, never had a cycle return and then got pregnant before my cycle came back. So I guess on the very first ovulation between Annabelle and Cameron, who are 22 months apart, which for me was amazing. I was thrilled because I had had such infertility that I'm like, woohoo, this is the best surprise ever. But I imagine that might not be the best surprise if you thought you were in menopause. A little bit of potentially, I mean, maybe it would. I don't want to judge. Maybe that that was very welcome. But if it For some, that's not the desired outcome. So talk about contraceptive methods for those over the age of 40. And I guess one other aside is that I personally have found that OCPs do not agree with me anymore, even though I did rely on them for many years in my youth. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, when I talk to my patients about contraception, I say a few things. So one is because of what we just talked about, if you don't want to be pregnant, you should be using some form of contraception up until you are in menopause. And not only if you don't want to be pregnant, the eggs that we're ovulating at this point are not, again, they're not the champs. And so your risk of not just getting pregnant, but then having a miscarriage is, is definitely there. And that's a lot to put your body through. So I do definitely recommend using a form of contraception. When I talk to patients about contraception, I like to think about what it can do for you sort of beyond just keeping you from getting pregnant. And that can be different for everyone. Some of the forms of contraception that we don't think about when we're younger that are irreversible or relatively irreversible are great options when you're in your 40s and 50s and you're done having kids. So I'm thinking about things like tubal ligation or salpingectomy, which is actually removing the fallopian tubes completely. The benefit of that procedure is that it really reduces your risk of ovarian cancer. And so if you're having a C-section and you know it's your last baby and they're going to be in there anyway, like maybe a salpingectomy would be the right choice for you. The other great option that doesn't involve you at all if you're the mother of your children is vasectomy. That is my favorite form of permanent contraception. Vasectomy is basically you cut and and tie off the tubes that carry sperm from the testicles to the semen and the semen doesn't look any different, doesn't seem any different. It just doesn't have sperm in it, which is great. And it's such a minor procedure. My husband knows that I share this information, but he had a vasectomy and went out to dinner that night and coached soccer the next day. And so really it was a big non-event. The key with vasectomy is you do actually have to make sure he goes back and has the post-procedure semen analysis to make sure that it actually worked before you rely on it for contraception. But then when we think about other forms of contraception that you may have used before, things like IUDs and oral contraceptive pills, birth control pills are definitely still options. I think that there you want to really, again, think about what you're getting from it. So if your periods are really heavy and really causing problems from that perspective, and a drug, a, a progesterone eluding IUD might be a really like a Marina or a Kylena might be a really great option for you because they work by thinning the uterine lining and really, really lighten up your periods. They also last, you can keep your Marina in for seven years now. So one or two Marinas might get you from your last kid to menopause without a lot of fuss. I do actually still use a lot of birth control pills. In women in their 40s, we used to think that birth control pills were not safe after the age of 35. Those are like really old studies from the original birth control pills, which had pretty high doses of estrogen in them. I typically use the ultra low dose pills in women in their 40s, and those have been shown to be safe up until the average age of menopause, so early 50s. The key there, though, is making sure that it's the right one for you. And the nice thing about it 
is if you are having a lot of symptoms like hot flushes or sleep disruption, it, they essentially act like hormone replacement therapy. They're the same hormones that are in hormone replacement therapy, just in a slightly higher dose. And so you can get a lot of benefit there. You can also skip periods with the low-dose birth control pills, which a lot of women find really, really beneficial. The key, though, is just to make sure that whatever you are using, it's working for you and that you're not just sticking with something because it's what you've always used when it maybe isn't working for you anymore. So reassessing like, well, I used to be on this pill, but maybe now a different pill would be the right choice because of the dose. Or I used to use a birth control pill, but now maybe a Mirena would be the right choice. And so I think just being ready to kind of reassess and reconsider is key. The one thing I would say is, while barrier methods can be great and are super reversible, they might not be the right choice if a pregnancy in your family would be catastrophic because they do have a much higher failure rate. The beauty of things like IUDs and even sterilization procedures is they don't involve you doing anything. You go to the doctor, have something done, and you don't think about it. And so there's no, there's not a lot of dependency on your sort of operating them appropriately. And when you say barrier methods, I assume you mean like, you know, traditional condoms, but then there's also some newer, there's also some newer medications that can be basically placed up there that kind of serve as a barrier method that have gained popularity recently. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is all about contraception. Yeah. I didn't mean to diss OCPs. I just tried two different ones and cured my migraines by stopping them all. And so I, the migraines were so bad and first went on for so long on two different medications that I'm personally not willing to revisit it, but to each their own. And I may not have ever had migraines if I didn't have a probably predisposition to them. So all of that said, great to have, again, so many different options to think about. So how about HRT in those, like, when do you start thinking about hormone replacement therapy? And I feel like I trained in medical school during the Women's Health Initiative years, and we were like, HRT is Me terrible, too. and nobody should ever use it, and it's just killing people. And and then it seems like finally the pendulum has really swung in the other direction, and I would love you to talk about how that has shifted and what kinds of options are out there for people who might find themselves in perimenopause and having symptoms. Sure. So I think the decision about whether to use hormone replacement therapy versus something like a birth control pill really depends on how regular your periods are and kind of where you are in your life cycle. If you're having a period every six months, and you're having tons of hot flushes, hormone replacement therapy is probably the better choice. If you're 45 and you're still having super regular periods, probably a birth control pill is the better option. The key with hormone replacement therapy, though, is if you're having symptoms, talk to your doctor about them because there's just really no reason to be miserable through menopause. I think a lot of women also came of age during the Women's Health Initiative. And maybe they weren't in medical school like you and I were, but they were seeing news articles and hearing their moms talk about menopause and sort of getting the same message that we were getting. And unfortunately, it's taken 20 years of a lot of women suffering unnecessarily 
to really get the pendulum swinging back in the right direction. And I think that if you are having hot flushes, night sweats, sleep disruption, mood changes, it's all fodder for discussion with your GYN or primary care doctor because all those things can be managed with hormone replacement therapy. And actually, part of the reason the pendulum is swung back is because, well, we can talk about the Women's Health Initiative study all day, and I think everyone might be bored except for you and me. But there's been a lot of new data that's come out showing that there may be significant benefits to hormone replacement therapy. There are some new studies about dementia risk, especially in people at high risk for dementia and hormone replacement therapy. There's certainly positive effects with hormone replacement therapy in bone and using hormone replacement therapy in your 50s may actually be beneficial from a cardiovascular point of view, which is directly opposed to what came out in the Women's Health Initiative. And that was probably because of their patient population. So I think that we're really rethinking hormone replacement therapy. We also use it really differently now. So we don't do a lot of oral hormone replacement therapy anymore, although those options are still out there. We do a lot with transdermal estrogen, which means you put the estrogen on your skin and it goes in through your skin. And there are patches and gels and all kinds of different options for getting the hormones into you in a way that seems to be more beneficial in the perimenopausal years. That is awesome. All right, now onto a question I get from patients as well, and I'm sure it's not uncommon in the adult population, but what are the natural things one can do to combat perimenopausal symptoms or menopausal symptoms? Are there supplements that are recommended? I feel like I don't remember what it was. There was one I heard about for a while, but now I feel like I haven't heard about it. And then, not to like open Pandora's box, but kind of similar lines. What about bioidentical hormones as well as, I feel like I've heard a lot of women taking small doses of topical testosterone. So I would love comments on all of that. Supplements, natural hormones, bioidenticals, and testosterone. So let's start with supplements. The main supplements that people talk about are soy phytoestrogens and Supplements like black cohosh, there's zero data that they actually do anything. I wish they did because people really would like an option like that. But there's really, when you drill down into the studies, there's not a lot of there there. So I would skip it. If you're looking for a non-hormonal treatment, those do exist at this point. And so I would go there before I went with one of the sort of supplement options. The one supplement I do recommend to my patients a lot, though, for sleep disruption and and hormonal headaches is magnesium. Magnesium is a great option for women. You take it at bedtime. It actually helps you with sleep and it reduces hormonal headaches as well. And there is actual data supporting that. The bioidenticals are really funny product because what they are essentially is the same estrogen and progestins that you can get in a commercially available hormone replacement patch, but made in a compounding pharmacy, usually in a lotion or cream that you put on topically. 
The issue there is that pharmaceutical companies are required to go through all of these checks with the FDA to quality assurance to make sure that what you're getting in your estrogen patch or in your, there's a product called Divi Gel, which is estrogen gel, that those products have in them exactly what they say they have in them. And nothing else. (laughs) And nothing else. Compounding pharmacies really vary in their quality. And it really varies even from batch to batch, whether you're getting exactly what you think you're getting. Add to that that compounding pharmacies typically are not covered by insurance. So bioidenticals are typically an out-of-pocket purchase. And I've had patients come in and they've been spending hundreds of dollars a month on bioidentical hormones. And it turns out that if they used a pharmaceutical product approved by the FDA, that it would be covered by their insurance and they'd be paying like $10 a month. So I really caution people to think long and hard about bioidenticals because I'm not sure that you really get a lot of value for the money that you're spending and you may not even be getting what you think you're getting. Okay. Testosterone is a really fun new addition to hormone replacement therapy. So women have testosterone. They just have it in much smaller amounts than men do, orders of magnitude smaller. So men have testosterone in the hundreds. Women during their reproductive lives typically have testosterones around 20. And some women after menopause, their testosterone or in perimenopause, their testosterone drops quite low. Other women have the opposite problem. Their testosterone levels get high and they get all types of symptoms that they don't like from that. For the women who get low testosterones, they can have fatigue, low libido. A lot of times they can't even describe it. They just don't feel good. There can be a lot of mood effects that women have. And if testosterone is low, then giving a little baby dose of of a testosterone gel can actually be life-changing for some women. So if we think about sort of, again, orders of magnitude, testosterone is manufactured for men and it comes in little packets that a man uses one packet each day. My patients, I typically start them on a fifth of a packet. So one packet lasts them five applications and they do it every other day or three days a week. And so that tiny, tiny bit of testosterone is enough to make them feel much better. It is not typically covered by insurance for women, even though there's lots of studies looking at off-label use of testosterone in women and it does seem to show benefit. It is something that women typically have to pay out of pocket for, but a 30-day supply for a man lasts a woman the way I described it for almost a year. And testosterone gel is generic at this point. So it tends not to be a big investment when you think about amortizing it over the course of the year. Totally cool. And I feel like that's one that definitely like 10 years ago, nobody was talking about. And now it's it's out there. So who knows what else will be coming down the pike? Probably even more exciting options, because I feel like this is an area that just was kind of, well, I guess it wasn't ignored. I mean, they were trying, but I just don't feel like there was a lot of new knowledge coming out for a while. Yeah, no. And I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on now. There's a new 
non-hormonal treatment for hot flushes called Veoza, which is great. That's wonderful if you really have contraindications to using hormones and you're having lots of hot flushes. So I think there's lots of interesting things happening. It's a much better time to be a woman in your 40s or 50s than it was 20 years ago, I think. Yay, good timing for us. Well, Dr. Jillian, thank you so much for coming on. Tell our listeners a little bit about Hot Flash before you head off, because I have a feeling it's going to be of interest to at least some of them in our wonderful age range. (laughs) Yeah. So Hot Flash is a weekly newsletter that is under the Parent Data by Emily Oster umbrella. So Parent Data is Emily Oster's newsletter that she puts out regularly about data for pregnancy and early childhood. Hot Flash is an extension of that really focused on the years after you're done having your kids, your 40s and 50s, just exactly what we've been talking about today. And our goal there is really to provide evidence-based analysis of different topics, just like those we've been talking about today, where the focus is really making sure that we're breaking down the data and helping you to make better decisions and helping you to have a better conversation with your doctor about your symptoms and what you're experiencing as a woman in your 40s or 50s. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a very instructive conversation. I'll have to have to kind of bookmark it and remember to re-listen as symptoms crop up as they as I'm sure they will. So thank you again. My pleasure. So we are back. That was awesome. Listening to Dr. Jillian Goddard talk about perimenopause and other hormonal related topics. So exciting to get more information on that. So today's question comes from a listener who is interested in a financial topic. She says, you've both mentioned your family upbringing with regards to money. I mean, just spoiler alert, both very middle class sort of upbringing. She finds the conversations about how you've learned to use money some of the most interested. I'm specifically interested in your philanthropy plans as you are talking about leveling up and doing more with that. And also any resources for getting into angel investing, because she has no idea where to start. So Sarah, maybe you can talk a little bit about the giving side of this, because I know you guys have been a, a little bit more organized in terms of your budgeting categories and stuff like that. Yeah. So we use the software, You Need a Budget, and giving is just one of the categories, just like anything else. So the way You Need a Budget works is every single month you create your budget. So I'll say, okay, I want to give, I need to put 200 in my electric bill budget or whatever. And then, you know, I have a category for gifts, which is like birthday gifts, and then all kinds of other things, including giving. And I just dump a standard amount in there every month, but it accumulates. So I don't necessarily need to say like, oh, I'm going to give X dollars every single month and I'm going to give, you know, to a different cause. We don't do it that way. Instead, we just kind of like put the same amount in every month. And then when something comes up that seems worthwhile, we can just be like, ooh, let's like give a bigger contribution and empty out this category to whatever. So like, for an example, recently I just got some like email as one does from a cause that was like, oh, I'm going to triple donations. It was like a, an anti-gun violence type of a thing. And it was it was Bloomberg who said he would triple all the donations. So I was like, you know what? Our donation will go three times as far if I do it now. So let's just empty the category out. I, you know, wanted to donate to that. And so we did it. Sometimes it'll be like, a, you know, a disaster happens. And we'll be like, oh, let's 
let's give to this to help these victims of whatever just happened, etc. And so, you know, we're not like huge philanthropists. It's not some giant chunk of our income. I see it kind of as twofold. Like we give some now. And then I also hope to, as we accumulate more money at, have invested money and are secure in our future to give even more later out of what we've invested. So that's kind of how we do it. It's not super, super systematic, but it works. And I like having a category that's just dedicated to that. It's kind of similar to holiday. Like I like to collect the money throughout the year and then use it. And I liked for there, whenever a cause comes up, like we have money in there and we can give it and feel really good about that, but also know we've budgeted for it. Yeah, I think this is the kind of thing that it just pays to put some thought into it. So especially as you're in kind of the wealth accumulation, although maybe you're not, maybe you're totally into the giving it away stage at this this point of your life. But, you know, be thinking about what causes really inspire you. And I mean, I know there's a sort of utilitarian argument of like, give it to the thing where it can go the furthest. And there's something to that. But there's also so many problems in the world that you want a cause that inspires you. And so because then you'll keep giving to it and you'll get involved with it personally and use whatever social capital you have as well to make a difference in that. So really be thinking about what inspires you, like what causes make you think like this is a change I'd like to see in the world. Be on the lookout for ones where, again, most of us are not going to be giving billions away. So we're looking for ones where maybe a smaller amount of money could make a significant difference. So maybe that's because it's something local, right? You can make a big difference in your own local community. But start really thinking about these things, having a conversation with your partner if you have one, and then thinking about like what amount of money would we be interested in giving to make a difference in this. And I'm with Sarah that I think we're better off giving a bigger amount to a smaller number of things versus a small amount to a lot of things. Partly just because it keeps you very invested in that small number of things. So you then follow the topics. And if you're working with a nonprofit, you might get involved, you might get on their board or whatever else like that. This is not an investing podcast, so I don't think you want to get all your invested, you know, angel investing information from here, but I will just do a quick discussion of it for anyone who is looking into this. So to invest in private companies, so ones that are not publicly traded and in startups and things like that, you basically either need to know the founder or you need to be what they call here in the U.S. an accredited investor, which means that you are well off enough that the financial authorities assume you are a big girl and can look it into it on your own, right? That you're not going to be devastated if you lose your investment. So there's a certain income requirement or a certain net worth requirement minus your primary residence. It's high, but it's not billionaire high, again. So there's probably a reasonable number of people listening to this whose households, income-wise or net worth, would fit into it. As for finding companies to invest in, I mean, this is networking like anything else. It's probably going to be former colleagues of yours, for instance, who have gone the startup route and you get a business plan from them and think it looks good and you put a small amount of money into it. Maybe people you went to school with. If you are in a reasonable sized city or near a university, there might be you know, investing organizations that various entrepreneurs can come pitch their idea to and people ask questions and then you can see what looks good and all that. But as you start doing it, as you make small investments in small companies, founders will hear about you too. And so they will come and, you know, you'll start getting pitches and then you can evaluate what do I think will grow? What do I think has a reasonable exit strategy? 
so that I you know, would hopefully make my money back. Although, again, with this, you're probably not going to make your money back on the vast majority of them. The idea is that maybe, you know, one in 20 might return 20x and then you're even or something or slightly ahead. So it's just more of a fun way to get involved in investing. And so, again, not an investing podcast, but there are plenty of ones out there that are. So, you know, recommend you kind of Google that and get the basics if you are interested. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. Sarah was interviewing Dr. Jillian Goddard about perimenopause and related topics. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.